All right, good morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Gospel of Mark chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 27 through 33 this morning. Uh, we are obviously con continuing our study of Mark's gospel. Uh, and this morning, we come to the beginning of a series of confrontations and debates between our Lord Jesus and the religious rulers of Israel. And the first encounter that we will consider this morning uh, has to do with the authority of Jesus. Authority is a really big deal, isn't it? Authority is a big deal. Uh, other men have said this, I'm stealing it. The playground question is really the great question. What's the playground question? Says who? Right? That, that's, that's the question. You can't do that. Says who? You should do this. Says who? That is the great question. Who do I have to listen to? Who do I have to obey? Who do I have to believe who is in charge? Or we could put it this way. Who has the authority? That's the question. Now, most people believe that they are the authority. We're all guilty of it. Most people believe that they are the authority. Um, I put this to you. Most people, at least in our Western culture, believe that they are the true authority, and so they reject all other authority, unless, of course, let's make a caveat, unless, of course, it is wise for them to submit to someone who simply has more power than they do, like the government. Why do you obey the government? Ask your average American. Because I don't want to go to jail. It's not because the government has legitimate God-given authority over me to make laws that I am morally bound to obey. And I'm not saying the government always does things right. You'll never hear me say that. But your average person in America won't say, because I recognize because of the fifth commandment, the government has authority over me. No, it'll be because I don't want to go to jail, right? So we submit because there's a power greater than us that it's wise for us not to fight against. But most people still think that they are the true authority, that they themselves are the true authority. You know, there's a country song a few years back. Yeah, I'm going to quote a country song. You guys didn't see that one coming. I don't like country music very much. But there's a country, country song on the radio that I remember hearing a lot um, a few years ago, and it, and it, it said this, uh, there ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. You might tell me where to go, but there ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. That was the chorus. And it's, and it's stuck with me because that's how most people think, isn't it? No one's going to tell me what to do. People believe that they are the true authority over their own lives. I've even had conversations with people who have basically told me, no one's going to tell me how to live, not even God. I know that I'll go to hell when I die, but while I'm on earth, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I have a family member like this. Authority. That is the great question. Who is in charge? Who has the right to tell you what to do? Now, it'll be no surprise to anyone here that I declare to you this morning by the word of God that Jesus Christ has all authority. He has all authority. After all, it was he who said, after he used his own authority to take his life back up from the dead, it was he who said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. When he acts, he acts with the authority of God. When he speaks, he speaks with the authority of God. When he judges, he judges with the authority of God. When he saves, he saves with all the authority of God. All that Jesus does and says is done and said with all authority. And it is an authority that cannot be legitimately challenged. It can be challenged to a lesser degree, but not legitimately. It's an authority that if one challenges with no repentance will lead to eternal damnation and destruction. It is an authority that, if, re if rejected, will lead to eternal shame, as the Lord Jesus himself pronounces the sentence of damnation upon the one who despised and challenged his authority. But it is exactly the authority of our Lord that is being challenged in our text this morning. Our text is the beginning of a series of interactions between Jesus and the religious rulers of Israel located in Jerusalem. It starts here at the end of chapter 11 and will continue on through the end of chapter 12 and actually lead into Jesus' denunciation and prophecy concerning the destruction of the temple in chapter 13. And throughout this passage, right, the end of chapter 11 through the end of chapter 12, throughout this 
big, long passage, we're going to see the religious rulers try to trap Jesus with various questions. And time and time again, we're going to see our Lord dominate the debates and in doing so give veiled declarations and revelation of who he is. And, and the first of the confrontations has to do with the issue of authority. Who is Jesus to do all that he has done? What authority does he have? I submit to you that by the end of our time in this text, you will see very clearly that Jesus has the authority of God. And I pray that God would teach us and help us to apply that truth to our lives personally and to our declaration of the gospel to the world. Now, with that said, if you would and are able, please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. Mark chapter 11, verses 23, or 27 through 33. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We are so privileged to read and hear your voice in the scriptures. We thank you for preserving your word for us through the ages so that we might know you personally and hear what you have to say to us. And to that end, we ask that you would bless the preaching and hearing of your word this morning. Bless the mouth of the preacher. Speak through him. Make him your mouthpiece as he expounds on the word. And bless the hearers. Make them attentive and eager to hear from you. By your Holy Spirit, grant clarity of thought and the ability to receive all things with faith. And grant to us, God, that we would see Jesus, your only begotten Son. Grant that we would see him in all of his majesty and authority in the text today. We ask for these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go ahead and, and dive into our text. And, and just to let you know, I, I won't be giving much application as I go. Like I usually try to do, I'm going to kind of save it all up for the end. And we're going to work through the text, I think, fairly quickly. But we're going to go ahead and dive in. Verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. So Jesus and his disciples are back in Jerusalem. They're back in the temple. This is Tuesday of Holy Week, or some people call it Passion Week. And Jesus came into Jerusalem on Sunday. And each evening he leaves the city and stays in a nearby village for the night. And each morning he heads back into Jerusalem to teach in the temple. And so Jesus comes back to the temple on this Tuesday morning, and he resumes teaching, most likely in the court of the Gentiles, where he had just cleaned house the day before. And as Jesus was in the temple, he's approached by a group of men, is what verse 27 tells us. And the text says that they were the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now, maybe you didn't know this. I know I hadn't thought of it much until I was reading a commentary. These are the three groups that make up the Sanhedrin. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Those are the three categories that make up the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the governing body of Israel. It was made up of 71 members, and it controlled all formal religious life in Israel. Right? It, it, it controlled the temple and what all went, went on in the temple. It, it controlled religious life in general, uh, formal religious life. And to a lesser extent, the Sanhedrin, under Roman oversight, uh, exercise some authority in smaller political matters. The, the Sanhedrin were the elite of the elite in Israel, especially in religious matters. These guys were the highest authority in Israel. Again, under Rome, obviously, but they were the highest authority in Israel. 
And since it's highly unlikely that the entire 71-member Sanhedrin went to Jesus that day, it's fairly safe to assume that this is most likely an informal delegation sent from the Sanhedrin to question Jesus. And what they've done is they've come to try and publicly discredit him. And let's see how they tried to do that. Verse 28. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? They approach Jesus and ask, Who gave you your authority? Now, what is authority? The Greek here is exousia. It, it, it's the right to act. It's different from power. right? Power means you have the ability to do something. right? Authority means you have the right to do it. You, you can have the power to do something, but not have the right to do it. You have the power to take someone's life, right? You don't have the right to do so, right? So power and authority are different. And they're asking Jesus, they're not challenging his power to be able to do the things that he's done because he has done them. They're saying, what right do you have to do them? Authority is the freedom to exercise your will and to do as you see fit. So to put it in a more modern way of speaking, and this is how it first came across to me as I was reading it on Monday, these religious rulers come up to Jesus and they say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to do these things you've been doing? Who gave you the right? What gives you the right, right? You've heard that before. That's what they're asking. What gives you the right? Who gave you the right to do all of these things? And again, they ask, about these things. It's a vague statement, isn't it? By what authority are you doing these things? No doubt this has immediate reference to the cleansing of the temple that took place 24 hours ago. Right? You'll remember just the previous day, our Lord Jesus went into the temple, saw how God and his worship was being profaned by the buyers and sellers in the court of the Gentiles, and he decided to clean house. He flipped the merchants and money changers' tables over. He flipped their chairs over. And he drove both buyers and sellers out of the temple complex and stopped people from using the temple as a shortcut. Right? Jesus had just cleaned house. And this certainly infuriated these men. This certainly infuriated the religious leaders of Israel. After all, they made a whole lot of money off of this endeavor, off of this buying and selling in the temple. And Jesus has just interrupted commerce. And they want to know, Jesus, who gave you the right? Remember, Jesus also called them to repent. He said, this place is a den of robbers. He's saying, you guys are sinning. And what they're asking is, who gave you the right to call us sinners? Who gave you the right to stop our commerce? Who do you think you are to tell us to repent? Who do you think you are to tell us what God requires of us? What authority do you have in anything regarding these matters? Again, they certainly had in mind the cleansing of the temple, but a secondary thing, the, the, the phrase these things might also be a broader reference to his entire ministry. It's possible. Right? Jesus is public. What was his ministry? He publicly taught, publicly called people to repent. He criticized the unbiblical religious traditions of the Jews. Read Mark 7. Right? They washed their hands. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? God's name is on your mouth. Your heart's far from him. Right? Jesus criticized their unbiblical traditions. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. And he claimed to be able to forgive sins. You remember the paralytic? He claimed to be able to forgive sins. And they want to know, in general, by what authority do you do your ministry? By what authority do you do these things? And they ask this because Jesus didn't get authority from the Sanhedrin. They know that. They didn't ordain him. Right? They, they, they didn't commission him to do anything. They certainly didn't authorize him. Jesus did not have any credentials from the religious establishment of Israel. As far as they were concerned, he was some redneck from Galilee. No, Galilee was a backwater town. Like 200 people lived there. Like it's the, Who is this guy? We didn't give him any authority to do this. So then, if they didn't give Jesus the authority to do his ministry, then who did? Right? This is an open challenge to Jesus' right to do ministry. It's an open challenge to his authority to preach and call to sinners to repentance. Again, he, he didn't get his authority from the Sanhedrin, so they want to know who gave it to you then. And let me break this down. Here's what's happening. They're trying to trap him with, these question, or with this question. If his authority didn't come from them, then there are two options for him. 
First, his authority is from man. That is, it's a merely human authority and therefore can be ignored by everyone. Or second option, his authority is from God. And if that is the case, then, then Jesus has been divinely commissioned and everyone must listen to him or be found opposing God. And considering the power and weight with which Jesus spoke and acted, they know that he will not say that his authority is from men. They know he won't say that his authority is merely human. So what I think they're trying to do here, and many other commentators think the same thing, they're trying to get Jesus to explicitly claim that his authority was from God so that they could accuse him of public blasphemy and have him put to death. That's what they're trying to do here. Again, they're trying to trap him with this question. Verse 18 of of Mark 11 tells us they were looking for a way to destroy him. Earlier, I think it's in Mark chapter 2 or 3, the Pharisees began to look for a way to kill him. And now the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of Israel are looking for a way to kill him. Everyone wants him dead. And this is how they're going to try to do it. No doubt they probably had met the day before. He stopped commerce in the temple. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to ask him a bunch of questions, and each group is going to try to trip him up so that we can have him stoned to death. But Jesus had a different idea, didn't he? Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus doesn't answer their question directly. He doesn't. Instead, he decides to do something else. He's going to make them debate with him. He tells them that he will ask them a question, and if they answer him, then he will answer them. And I think uh, that what Jesus is doing here is he's linking, follow me, he's linking his question with the answer that they want. What he's saying here uh, functionally is, if you answer my question, then you'll have the answer to your question. I think that's what he's doing here, right? Jesus is going to answer their question with a question. Now, let's, let's be clear about something else. Our Lord is no coward. He is not evading their question, right? Rather, this was a common thing for rabbis to do, answering a question with a question. We see Jesus does this all the time. This is actually a common rabbinical uh, thing. And, and the answer to the rabbi's counter question would often provide the answer to the original question, right? You guys have done this. Hey, are you going to be there on Tuesday? Is the Pope Catholic? What are you saying? Yes, I'm going to be there on Tuesday, right? Again, that's a funny way of doing it, but you get the idea. You answer my question, you'll have the answer to your question. And that's what Jesus is doing here, just in a a much more serious way. Uh, But what I want, I want you to notice something else, and, and, and this has to do with the authority of Jesus, and I love this. Jesus does not answer them the way that they want him to. This has to do with his authority. They ask him a question, and they expect a straightforward answer, and he's not giving it to them. Why? Simply because he does not feel compelled to. He doesn't feel like he has to. He does not view himself as under their authority. He is not under their authority. He is free to answer their question any way he wants. He is free to answer their question with a question and put them on the defensive in this conversation. Let me illustrate this for you if you don't see what I'm getting at. You, you don't answer the question of someone who ranks above you by asking them a question. Ask someone in the military if they would ever do that to someone who ranks above them. Would you ever answer a question with a question? No. Why? Because I don't want to die. <laughs> right? You, you, you are compelled to answer straightforwardly. Think of how you would answer a police officer if they asked you a question. Right? Would you look at him and say, well, let me ask you a question first. Like, you would never do that. Right? Or even a teacher in a school setting. You don't answer a question with a question. You'd be compelled to answer straightforwardly, but Jesus does not feel compelled to do so here. Why? Because they don't outrank him in authority. They don't. And he knows that. And he's free to answer them any way he wants. He knows that he himself is the highest authority. He knows who he is. He knows he's the Messiah. He knows he is the Son of God who has come into the world to save sinners. He knows that he is God in the flesh and the true King of Israel. And he can do as he pleases. Our Lord is not compelled to bow down to them. Rather, they are compelled to bow down to him and his authority. So what's going on already in this is in a bit of a veiled way, Jesus is already asserting authority over them. They say, let me ask you a question. He says, no, let me ask you a question. 
our Lord has all authority. And here's the question that Jesus puts to them. Verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Let me break that down a bit. The baptism of John is a reference to John the Baptist's entire ministry, right? Baptizing people for the repentance of their sins uh, was the distinguishing marker and activity of John's ministry that stood out and everyone remembered the most, right? So then Jesus is using this hallmark of John's ministry, the baptism of John, to refer to everything that John did, right? And John preached, right? So it's John's preaching, the message that he said, and his baptism, John's ministry in general, and Jesus wants to know if John's ministry or John's authority to do ministry was from heaven or from man. And in this context, heaven is a reference to God. You see, Jews often didn't like to use the name of God in their conversations, so they would find ways to speak about God without having to use his name. And since heaven is where God dwells in a peculiar way, they would use heaven to speak of God. Right? Is it from heaven? Is it from God or from man? So the summary of Jesus' question is this. Was John's authority from God or from men? And as I've said already, Jesus is essentially telling them that their answer to this question will give them the answer they want about his authority. If John's authority was from God, then so was Jesus's. Jesus is linking his ministry and his authority with John's. And that makes sense. Why? Because John was the forerunner to the Messiah. So this all makes sense. Jesus is saying our ministries are connected. Our authorities are connected. Right? And what do we know about John's authority? We know it's from God. Right? Mark has told us in the opening verses of this gospel who John is. Let me, let me read Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. We read this. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Let me simplify this because the, the middle part, the quotation of Isaiah, it's, it's a clause there in our Bibles. So let's take that clause out and it says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, John appeared. That, that's how Mark puts it. Isaiah spoke of John. <laughs> Isaiah prophesied that John would come. John the Baptist was prophesied in the Old Testament to come and prepare the way for the Lord. John was a prophet sent by God, foretold centuries beforehand. To look at other books of the Bible, Luke chapter 1 tells us that John's birth was foretold by an angel. And it was foretold that he would be a prophet, that he was, as our Lord affirms in his ministry, John was Elijah who was to come, and he was to come and prepare, or rather to come and preach repentance in order to prepare Israel for her Messiah. Not only that, but John was to actually reveal the Messiah through his ministry of baptism. John tells, that, uh, tells us that himself. So this was John's commission, to be the prophet who prepares the way for the Messiah, that is the Christ. And John's commission was from God. We know that without a doubt. If John is a true prophet, John's commission has to come from God. We know that John was divinely ordained and commissioned by God to speak on God's behalf to the nation. And listen, since John's authority was from God, John was to be believed. John was to be obeyed. He was to be listened to. So then when Jesus asked, where did John get his authority from? Jesus is actually making a claim about his own authority. John's authority was from God, and so is Jesus's. And Jesus wants the religious rulers to admit it publicly right here in the temple. And I want you to notice one last thing about verse 30 before we move on, and it has to do with Jesus's authority, and this one actually made me laugh when I realized what was going on. The last sentence of verse 30, answer me, answer me. He's asserting his authority, isn't he? This is, Mark records this sentence and, and the other uh, synoptic gospels don't. Mark's the only one who records Jesus' challenge. He doesn't just ask a question. He says, now answer me. This is a command. This is an imperative statement. You answer me. He's commanding. He's demanding an answer. He is now the questioner. 
of the religious leaders. They're now in the hot seat. Jesus, consider this for a moment. Me and Stephen uh, were rejoicing in this on Friday as I was talking to him about it. Jesus has the authority to make the highest ranked men in Israel answer him. What does that tell us about him? Jesus is the highest of the highest in authority. He is challenging them now. The one who has authority over men is exercising his authority over the highest ranked men in the nation. And now we come to the response of Jesus's challengers. Verse 31, and they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? The religious rulers know that they cannot admit that John's authority was from God. Why? Because they didn't listen to John. They didn't listen to John. They did not accept John's ministry. They didn't believe that John was a prophet. They did not repent and submit to the baptism that John gave. Rather, they opposed him. They ignored John. You'll remember maybe Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. John specifically called them to repent. Matthew 3, 7 says that Pharisees and Sadducees came out from Jerusalem to John as he was baptizing. And he says, you brood of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John called them to repent, and they didn't listen to him. So they can't admit that John was a prophet. Why? Because then they would have to admit that they disobeyed a man sent to them from God with a message from God. And these self-righteous hypocrites are not about to admit publicly that they sinned and disobeyed a prophet. But even more specifically... John didn't just call the religious rulers to repent, but he also said some things about why he had come out baptizing. Right? In Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, we read this. And he, that is John, preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John preached that he had come to prepare the way for the Messiah. He had come to reveal the Messiah to Israel through his ministry of baptism. The one who comes after me is greater than me. The one who was to come after John was greater than the greatest prophet in history. Right, and just real quick, this is not the main point of our text here. Who is greater than a prophet? Who is greater than, a, this must be more than a man. This must be more than just a prophet. Because who's greater than a prophet? Who's greater than a man commissioned by God? Only God. The one who was to come after John was the Lord. And John also had something very, very specific to say about the Messiah, whom he was going to reveal. And he said it very publicly. It's one of my favorite passages in the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, we read, The next day he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Notice I'm highlighting here, he, this is he, this is the Son of God. Why? Because the first verse that I read says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, John's pointing him out. This is he. This is the one I was talking about. This Jesus is the Messiah. John flatly and publicly declared that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that Jesus is the one whom he had come to reveal, that Jesus is the very Son of God. In other words, 
John said that Jesus is the one with all authority, the one who has more authority than even a prophet. John also said that Jesus existed before John, even though John was his older cousin. What does that mean? He existed before John was born. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the one with all authority. He is the king. He is the one sent from the Father. He is the highest authority to whom all men must submit. This is the declaration of the Baptist, of John the Baptist, a prophet with the authority and commission of Almighty God. Can you see the predicament that Jesus has put the religious rulers in? If they say John's authority was from God, then John really was a prophet. And then Jesus will say, then why don't you believe what John said? That is, why don't you believe that I am the Messiah? That's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, why do you continue? If they answer yes, John was a prophet, then Jesus can say, why do you oppose me and my authority then? Don't you believe what the prophet spoke? These men are in sin. They are wicked men in need of a savior. They are religious hypocrites who disobey God while claiming to be his people. And Jesus is exposing it here for everyone in the temple to see. So for these unbelieving hypocrites, admitting that John's authority was from God was not an option. Because they would have to admit then that Jesus' authority is from God as well. And they hate Jesus. And they refuse to submit to him. So then they move to consider their other option. Verse 32, but shall we say from man? For they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. If they say that John's authority was merely human, then they will have a huge problem on their hands in the immediate future. What was the problem? The people, the common people of Israel. While the religious elite rejected John and did not believe that he was a prophet, the common people of Israel did believe that John was a prophet, and more than a prophet, a martyr. Because Herod killed him. They put John in the same category as someone like Isaiah, a prophet and a martyr. So if these religious leaders say that John was not a prophet, the people are going to accuse them of blasphemy and possibly kill them. And that's actually spelled out for us in Luke's account. In Luke chapter 20, verse 6, we read, But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they can't admit that they reject John's authority for fear that they will die. Real quick, I hope you can see in these verses that these men were not concerned about the truth. Were they? They're not concerned about the truth. Never once is it told to us in the text that they discussed whether or not John was actually a prophet. Never once. And they also don't even try to refute Jesus' miracles or his doctrine. What they're doing is they're acting like politicians, essentially. They won't say that John was a prophet because they refuse to submit to the authority of Jesus. But they also cannot say that John was not a prophet because the people will probably kill them and then they lose their lives and their authority. The rulers were all about keeping their authority and position and power. And I submit to you that this is the primary reason that people reject Christ. They want to keep whatever authority they think that they have over their own lives. This is why people reject Christ. Listen, Romans 1 says they know God. They know God is, and they know that they'll be judged, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Why? Because they would rather worship the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Human beings would rather worship themselves than submit to God. Unbelievers don't want to submit to Jesus because they know that this means they must give themselves up to him and submit to him as Lord. And like the song I mentioned in the introduction, the unregenerate sinner says, there ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. That is the heart of unbelief. But Back to our text. Our Lord has put the religious rulers of Israel in a very tight spot. They could admit that John was a prophet, and in doing so, implicitly admit that Jesus is the Messiah and Son of God, and therefore has all authority from God, or they can say John was not a prophet, 
and therefore Jesus is not the Messiah, and they can die. That's the position that they're in. So they decide to choose a third option, shame. Verse 33, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. They've lost, brothers and sisters. They lost the debate just then. We don't know. They look like fools. The religious rulers of Israel have just admitted that they don't know whether or not John was a prophet. What does that mean? It means they lack the authority and wisdom to distinguish a true prophet from a false prophet. Some authority they really have, huh? These men who are the authorities in Israel can't tell you who speaks for God and who doesn't. And they've just admitted it publicly. Jesus just forced them to admit it publicly that their authority is a sham. And so they must now shrink back in shame. He has exposed their hypocrisy. He's exposed that their question was never genuine. All right, they, didn't, they didn't come to him seeking more information in order to arrive at the truth. They don't care about the truth. They only care about keeping their authority. They came to Christ to try to discredit him. And he knew it. And so he, he, he decided to make them shame themselves. The ones who should have been the quickest to receive Christ in faith are actually shown to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 56, 11. They are the shepherds who have no understanding. And just real quick, why am I quoting from Isaiah 56? Isaiah 56, just a few verses, I think it's verse 7, is the quotation that Jesus uses when he cleanses the temple. My house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. And just a few verses later, it said that the shepherds of Israel are shepherds who have no understanding. These men are the fulfillment of what Isaiah spoke of. They don't know because they don't know God. If they knew God, they would have accepted Christ. And now we come to the end of our text. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Simply put, Jesus keeps his word here, doesn't he? They didn't answer, and he won't answer their question either. They didn't want to have a real conversation with Jesus. They didn't want to know him. They were not interested in the truth. They were not interested in submitting to his authority. And so he does not answer them. He kept his word. He said, answer me and I'll answer you. They say, we don't know. And he says, I'm a man who keeps my word. I won't answer you either. Now, having worked through the text, let's draw some conclusions and applications of this passage. I have three things for you. First, I hope that I have... Rather, not I, but the text is abundantly clear to you that Jesus has all authority. He has divine authority. His authority is the very authority of Almighty God. The religious rulers went to him and said, Who do you think that you are? By what authority do you act? And this text screams to us this morning that Jesus acts with all of the authority of God. He has all authority in every regard. Hear me. This is a beautiful thing for, for our meditation that will lead us to worship. In his divine nature, he has all authority. Why? Because he's God. And for, but for humans, all authority must be given. All authority is delegated to humans from God. And what do we find out here? In his human nature, he has been given all authority from his Father. In all ways then. In both natures, in every way that he can have authority, he has all of it. He has every right in heaven and on earth, both as God and man, to do everything that he did. He has all authority to tell us to repent and believe upon him for salvation. He has all authority to tell us what God demands of us. He has all authority to tell us how to live. He has all authority, period. When Jesus speaks... He speaks with the authority of God. Hear me. Hear that. Seriously, when you read the word, and it's all the word of Christ, by the way. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. Both in his human and divine natures. And therefore, we as God's creatures, or rather as Christ's creatures, really, we are obligated and bound to listen and believe and obey whatsoever he is pleased to say to us. Jesus had all authority on that day in the temple, and Jesus has all authority today. Nothing has changed. He is the same one today who said in Matthew 28, 18, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hear me. Do you believe that? Do you, have, have you been gripped by that? Not check it off on a theology exam, but do you really truly believe that Jesus Christ has all authority? That his authority cannot be legitimately disputed? Lest you risk incurring the wrath and displeasure of God. Do you really believe that? Brothers and sisters, the world needs to hear this message. Hear me. In our evangelism, this is what I'm talking about. The world needs to hear this message that Jesus has all authority. Enough of the proclamation of a limp-wristed Christ who is begging for people to listen to him. Enough. That is not the Christ that we just read about in this text, is it? That is not the Christ that the apostles proclaimed. What did they proclaim? He is Lord. God has appointed a day that all men will be judged, and he has revealed who the judge is by raising him from the dead. That's how Paul put it. Jesus is Lord. All things hold together in him, and he is before all things. He is the head of all things. This is what Paul tells the Colossians. He is Lord. We must declare to the world that Jesus is the one with all authority, that he gives commands and makes demands and does not make suggestions. He does not give good advice. He's not a hippie. Please hear me. When you proclaim the gospel, you are making the proclamation of a king, not a beggar. He's not a beggar. He's a king. He lowered himself lower than all, but now has been raised higher than all. He is the king. We tell the world of this Lord with authority. Now, please hear me. Don't misunderstand me. Yes, we need to tell the world of the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus. We must. We must. We, we must tell the world that Jesus lived, died, and was raised for the benefit of sinners who have rebelled against him, that they might be forgiven. Yes, we need to say that. We need to tell the world that Jesus does not need your good works, but rather only requires simple faith in him to be saved. We must say those things. But when we do so, we declare that the Jesus who did and said these things is the Lord. That he did and says these things with authority. We preach the gospel of the King. And the world needs to hear us declare at the top of our lungs that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And because he is Lord, because he has all authority, he has the right to tell the world that they must come to him or perish. That he has the authority to tell them there are not many ways to God. There is me or there is hell. That he has the authority to say that. What the world needs to hear is the authoritative voice of the Lord Jesus speaking through his church, declaring his gospel, and calling all men to repent and believe on him. The world needs to hear that they are obligated to him who has all authority. And brothers and sisters, we need to hear this too. We need to hear this too. Those of us who have submitted to Christ in faith and repentance, we who are Christians, I'm talking to those of us who are believers, we need to hear that Jesus has all authority as well. We need to be, maybe I should say, reminded. We need to be reminded that Jesus has the authority to tell us how to live. That Jesus has the authority to reveal unto us the will of God. That Jesus has the authority to tell us how to think how to feel. Your emotions are commanded in Scripture real quick. Just know that. Rejoice. Right? There's just one example. Your, your emotions are commanded. Rejoice. You be glad in the Lord. He, Jesus has the authority to tell you how to think, how to feel, how to speak, and how to act. He has the authority to do so. And we need to hear this so badly because we are so prone to forget it. Or we are at least prone to apply it. Or rather to not apply it. Here's what I mean. When we sin against a known commandment of God, we are essentially saying to Jesus, by what authority do you tell me what to do? 
It's ugly, isn't it? But that's what we do when we knowingly refuse to submit to God in obedience. We are saying to the Lord Jesus, by what authority, who do you think you are to tell me? When we know that the Lord Jesus calls us to keep the Sabbath day holy, but instead fill the Lord's day with commerce, business, and time wasting, we are saying, by what authority do you tell me how to spend my Sunday? Men, when we're upset with our wives and decide to treat them harshly and impatiently, contrary to the command in 1 Peter 3, 7, what are we saying to Jesus? By what authority do you tell me how to govern my house? Likewise, women, when you're upset with your husbands and decide to disrespect and disobey them, contrary to the command in 1 Peter 3 to women, to submit to your husbands in all things, when you decide instead to disrespect him and disobey him, what are you saying? You're looking Christ in the face and saying, by what authority do you tell me to submit to my husband? When we refuse to love one another, love our enemies, and pray for those who have hurt us, we're saying, by what authority do you tell me how to act and feel? You get the idea. I could give countless examples because there's countless ways that we sin. But the point is that when we knowingly disobey the Lord, we are effectively challenging his authority. And we have no right to do that. Especially, God forbid, as the people who have been redeemed by the blood of the very same person. May God forgive us. I, I mean this seriously. This isn't just a, a, a point in my sermon. May God forgive us for all the times that we have confessed Jesus Christ is Lord and then turn around and challenge his lordship by refusing to obey his authority. And praise God. Christ's blood is powerful to accomplish our forgiveness and his grace is greater than all our sin. We glory in that. That's our only hope is that his grace is greater than our sin. But may we not use that as an excuse. May we never abuse such great grace in our lives by refusing to obey his command. Jesus has all authority and we must daily repent and renew our faith any time that we challenge that authority in our disobedience. We need to hear this too. The world needs to hear about the authoritative Christ and we need to remember him. A second thing for us to consider in light of this text, and this is very basic, really all the application of this text are very basic, because it's a very basic truth. But a second thing for us to consider is this. The options of the religious rulers that day are the same options for all people today. What were their options? Acknowledge the authority of Christ or die. And before you say, well, hold on, they chose shame. Well, know this, you will be eternally shamed if you try to say, I don't know if Jesus has authority. You will be shamed eternally under the wrath of God. So again, I say our options are to submit to Christ in faith or perish eternally for rejecting the authority of the Son of God. There is no third option. There is no third option. There is no ignorance that we can confess. We are sinners and are therefore without excuse in the courtroom of God. And our only hope is to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus who lived, died, and was raised to save sinners. Our only hope is to believe upon him and submit all that we are to him in faith. Our only hope is to recognize that he has the authority to save sinners. And to believe that he will do it. Apart from this, there is no hope. There is only damnation. So Christ, who has all authority to open and close whatever doors he wants, he has closed our options down to two. Come to him or perish. And our third takeaway really connects to the second one. Jesus keeps his word. We saw in verse 33 that Jesus kept his word to the religious rulers. They didn't answer him, and so he didn't answer them. Know this, Jesus always keeps his word. He always keeps his word. And for us this morning, this speaks both a positive and a negative. He will keep his word to save those who submit to him, and he will keep his word to damn those who refuse him and refuse to submit to his authority. Our Lord Jesus is not lying. Please hear me. 
I'm going to quote some texts to you rather quickly. Jesus is not lying. He has the authority to say, repent or perish. He has the authority to say, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He has all authority to say, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He will keep his word. He has the authority to do so. But he also has all authority and power to save. He has the authority to say, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. He has all authority to say, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He has all authority to say, the Son of Man came to say, seek and to save the lost. He has all authority to say, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus holds out salvation for all who come to him, and he has the authority to save. He will keep his word. So in closing, simply put, Jesus has all authority. The world needs to hear this. We Christians must remember this. And all men must know that he will certainly keep his word to each one of us. May God have mercy on us and teach each of us more and more what it is to, by faith, submit to the authority of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God and King, we thank you for your word that instructs us and reveals the glory and majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has all authority. Lord, I pray that that would excite us in our hearts, that we, we don't serve a beggar, we serve a king. And God, I pray that that would humble us as we come to see what you've commanded us in your word, to see what our Lord Jesus has revealed in scripture, that we would say, I must submit to the king. Let it excite us, let it humble us, and God, let it, let it uh, stoke a fire in us in our evangelism. We are proclaiming the gospel of the King. God, have mercy on us. Help us to see Christ in all of his majesty each day. And let that lead us to greater faith and repentance and submission and proclamation. Have mercy on us, we pray. Amen.